0: Football talk like you've never heard before. The pinky finger goes up the nose. From the tailgates. A million percent correct. Those are the best fries in the universe. To the touchdowns. He's going for the corner. He's got it. We have everything covered. Place at the table. (laughs) Here's Andy Staples. His squad is in the house. Welcome to the Place at the Table podcast, a rare in-person guest appearance. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Adam, we are in lovely new orleans louisiana uh trying to figure out where to get vietnamese food
1: absolutely i have a couple of recommendations from a friend that used to live here and so i'm optimistic um it's a community i didn't really know about and probably till watching the show treme i'm a little embarrassed to say that but there's like a huge vietnamese community here so i'm 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 high so hopes for this
0: we're gonna find something good is what you're telling yes me. Yes, yes that that I'm, I'm excited about this too i I, this is my trip to New Orleans. I've been thinking about this. I, I keep pointing, and now it, it doesn't help on the podcast, but so I am staring out over the warehouse district. That's where our hotel is. And to my right is the French Quarter. To my left is, if you go that way, you know, you can go to the Garden District or uptown. And I keep telling people, I'm not going that way right. toward the French Quarter. I'm going that. Now, although I might go past the French Quarter because you can go to the Marnie or you can go to, uh, the Bywater, There's some some good places out that way too. But I want to I want to kind of explore, and I don't want to have traditional Louisiana food. I want to have good food in New Orleans that is not what people think it would be. Well, that shouldn't be a
1: problem. Uh, now you're 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 living in the South. You're down in these parts more than I am. So I am looking for a bit of a mix because I don't normally get good Southern slash Louisiana food. But definitely open to other cuisines, and I agree with you. Going past the French Quarter, Frenchman Street, uh, last time I was here to cover the Sugar Bowl, I actually stumbled into a place where Trombone Shorty was there. Nice. It was his birthday party, Yeah, and he actually performed at his birthday. There so actually is a nice. really
0: good barbecue place if you keep going uh, past Frenchman Street to the, to the Bywater area. It's called the Joint. And uh, New Orleans is not really known for its barbecue, but apparently there have been a couple other places that have popped up in the last few years, so I'm going to have to try it. Because you know, I've got the barbecue thing. As, that's kind of my niche, so Indeed. I got I got at least try one or two. But the Vietnamese thing, I'm very intrigued by because it, it's interesting when you you find these these very large communities of, of different nationalities in different places, like like the Persian community in Dearborn, Michigan. Right? Or it, you know, you, you just it you find some really great food.
1: Yeah, you know, when we have a pretty. I live in Chicago, as you know, and we have a, a pretty robust um, for the city it is a vietnamese community there and there's a there's an area on argyle street that we go to a bunch and so i'm interested to sort of compare what's here which is a much larger community to what i get back home
0: yeah this is going to be good we're also going to do football football? there is a a game on monday night alabama and clemson uh and we were down doing interviews this morning and brian dable he speaks he He can speak he does he speaks in cliches yes really really well it was a it was a very impressive cliche performance i have to say uh, because it's one thing to be the coach who talks in cliches who talks about taking it one play at a time uh and you know we're we're just gonna we're gonna go and give it 110 percent and all all the usuals but the way he was stringing them together it was sort of a master class in saying nothing
1: yeah I think the best, are, and I wasn't around Dayball the whole time. You may have been there longer than I was. But the best at those are the guys who make you feel like they're giving you quotable stuff, and then you review your tape or you look at a quote transcript, and there's just nothing there. I just finished an Alabama story, uh, and I wasn't planning on quoting Dayball, and uh, there was one item that I was able to use, and, and that was it. It was pretty sparse otherwise. Well,
0: here, here we go. I, I've got two that I thought were just <laughs> – these are just be- like I, I respect the game. I'm We've not being to. the reporter complaining about the guy speaking in cliches because I got to be honest with you. If I were a coach, I would never give us anything. I wouldn't say squat. I, well, I might go Mike Leach. Yeah. I might tell stories so about so raccoons yeah. mm-hmm. so that you won't ask questions about my football team. But all right, here, here's Brian Dable. These, these, these are two very representative quotes, and – Again, I am not bagging on the guy. I am just impressed. There's one ball. You have a lot of playmakers on your team, but each play you can only you, you can distribute the ball to one person. We do what we think is best, and they're very unselfish.
1: And that's Belichick in right there. That's one,
0: yeah. but it's more polite. Because Belichick would be shorter and and nastier by that point. And and that's the thing. He he had two interview sessions. One in the print room. One in the TV room. And he. He was polite in both, and he didn't get Belichick in. Now I imagine if he had to talk more often, because remember Alabama's coordinators don't have to talk except no. once in August, and then when they get to these type of games, uh, and that's what the big deal was. Like the Alabama beat writers are like, "Okay, please explain to us what happened this entire season." And his thing is, "I'm not going to relive those games, right?" right so, here, the but, game. but here's here's the other one. I think this is this is like the ur cliche. This is maybe the best cliche I've ever seen. We always want to be a tough, smart, competitive, selfless team that performs well under pressure. That's kind of like that's kind of what we like to do. Each week you go into a game trying to do those things. That <laughs> is poetry. <laughs> yeah, he,
1: he uh he, I, I guess others should learn from him, right? I mean
0: uh it wasn't Lane Kiffin. No, Lane Kiffin said very interesting things. Yep. Yep. But I don't think he meant to. Nope. <laughs> it just sort of happened.
1: Nope. You know, it's interesting, though, Andy. I mean, I was trying to get a sense of whether Alabama's players, I think they like Brian Dayball, I think but like I don't too. know if they love playing for him.
0: I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I remember watching the spring game, and he was yucking it up with Jalen Hurts and, mm-hmm. and Tua Tungavailo on the sideline. And that's a, that's a big shift in communication and relationship from Lane Kiffin. Uh, Hertz talked about it a little bit today. Damien Harris talked about it a little bit today, but nobody would actually come right out and say it. But w- you and I know from from talking to people around that program, Lane Kiffin didn't really talk to the quarterbacks very much. Uh, Jalen Hurts was talking about how uh, basically the you know meetings would go on without him. He'd, he'd poke his head in from the outside the room, but he wasn't allowed in the room. I don't know if he wasn't allowed in the room, but he he didn't go in the room. Mm-hmm. Now he just you know plops down in the offense meeting and is part of the game planning process. Right. Um, so I, I do think they like playing for the guy. Uh, oh, calls, calls, calls. I thought I turned my phone <laughs> off. This is th- These are the sorts of technical difficulties you get on a professional podcast. But no, I, I just I think I think they like playing for the guy. I don't know that they are as good of an offense as they have been. And I don't necessarily think that's a Jalen Hurts thing. It definitely isn't. A running backs thing because they have the running backs they have that i i thought jonah williams said some interesting stuff today the, the left tackle and basically every time somebody would talk about Jalen or the play calling he would bring it back to we just have to block people mm-hmm. and if you look at the auburn game that was the problem yeah no, I mean, they do, and they're going to have
1: to do a better job against uh, probably a more complete defensive front in, right. in Clemson. Which may
0: be the only more athletic defensive front than Auburn's. Yeah. No,
1: I mean, they're up there. I mean, Ohio State is very good. Uh, Michigan yeah. is very good on their defensive line. but But you're right. There's not many that measure up to Auburn. You know, and I and I wasn't there for as many of Williams' comments, but I did spend some time around Calvin Ridley. I think, you know, I know he doesn't usually say much, but today he was very interesting. And I got a sense of angst listening to him that he was frustrated and he admitted this, that he has 55 catches and no one else has more than 14. Yeah. And I think we're all trying to figure out why that is. Is it a blocking thing? Is it a Jalen Hurts thing? Is it a Brian Dayball thing? But I really believe that if that doesn't change now, you're not talking about guys, you know, having thirty catches individually on Monday night, but if you don't have a second option against this defense, it's going to cost them. I, I don't think they can win this game with one receiver.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about the 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 whole deal that Brent Venables can exploit your weaknesses very easily. And and one thing I, I think that the people who are criticizing Alabama's play calling And the lack of handing off to the running backs don't get is how. And and Williams was really funny talking about this because, you know, his thing is. You need to understand how the plays work before you criticize the play calls. He's right. And in today's college football, especially with with Alabama's offense, they're running a lot of RPOs, emphasis on the O. So Jalen Hurts has the option to hand off or keep on on a lot of these plays. And he hands off when the play is blocked and the, the running back is set up for success. He keeps when he when, when it looks like the running back's going to get pulverized. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, the, the backs combined for 18 carries against Auburn because that's how many times it was it was there. And otherwise he pulled it. And Williams was you know saying, you know, you how can you criticize it when you don't really even understand what's going on? Right. Right. But so that, that's one of their issues, but, but Auburn did that on purpose. Auburn took away the backs. Cause you know, Kevin Steele's like, I know what they're reading here. So I'm going to take away the gift to the back and force Jalen to keep it. And I have good enough players on the edge to keep him contained. And I have good enough players in the middle to hold their spot sure. and clog things up. And the thing about it, I mean, you look at Clemson, even though they run a, a very different scheme defensively, athletically, they're about the same or right. better. Right. That's the part I worry about with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're all questioning whether this is a normal Alabama team. Is this mm-hmm. it a normal Alabama offensive line? Is it a normal Alabama defensive line? Um, I, again, was not a Jalen Hurts fan going into this season, but I've grown to become one. I, I think love Jalen Hurts. I think he's had a really good yeah. year. Uh, and, again, I go, I go like you do based mainly off what coaches tell me. And what coaches were telling me going into last year's playoff is that he, he couldn't throw the ball. And he didn't improve since the beginning
0: of the season. right?
1: And now I think he actually threw
0: the ball worse at the end of last season than he did at the beginning. And so so
1: that was, you know, in some ways an indictment of Lane Kiffin. But this year he has improved, I think, in his decision making, in his passing at times. Um, But does he have enough around him? Yeah. Uh, that's, I think, the question. And again, I defer to a coach here with the schematic part of it. Uh, SEC defensive coordinator basically told me, hey, they miss Lane Kiffin's creativity. Right? They miss his ability to game plan for you and, and, and surprise you. Yeah. So I think one of the most interesting parts of this game, and again, if you believe the Alabama players, it won't be much of this, but how much new is put in? How much element of surprise will they have for Clemson on Monday night that Clemson can't rep. I mean, we know Brett Venables loves to get his calls in as late as possible. (laughs) So as an offense, I think there's an opportunity there, and Pitt did this well in the win against them last year, where with their shifting and all the crap that Matt Canada does, uh, they were able to uh, keep Clemson off balance that way. If Alabama's just going to roll out there and do what they do, I I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be enough.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because they've they've cut down on the jet motion this year, and uh, people got sick of that why did you get sick of the thing that was working? Right. Like, right. I, I don't, I don't get that, that there's a reason Saban brought Tom Herman over after they lost to Ohio state and grilled him for three hours. Like that they wanted things that worked and then they put them in the offense and they worked. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It I, I just think, I don't think Alabama fans are ever going to be truly happy with the play calling unless they hand off every play and, run for 600 yards a game i think i think that that would make everybody happy but you know let's let's flip to the other side now you know this is not deshaun watson leading clemson's offense now this is kelly bryant and this defense could be a much more interesting challenge than even the one he's watched on film because christian miller and terrell lewis are playing and they got hurt game one they came back game twelve, but didn't play that much. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to be the pass rush, right? So what happens if Alabama suddenly a ferocious pass rush team, and that hasn't shown up on film all year?
1: Yeah, no that that's an element that Clemson's going to have to handle, not just the offensive linemen, but the running backs. Yeah. And we don't know how necessarily how good they are at that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the health of those two players is is big, and and maybe Alabama's defense is more of a surprise element than the offense. Remember
0: the we, non-offensive the, touchdowns, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. What if it, those are back? Yeah,
1: right, right. Um, that, that that that's what's kind of fun about these games is that there's always a few things that we haven't really expected that pop up, and that could certainly be one of them. Speaking of
0: things we don't expect that pop up, we should expect this by now, but it it doesn't. It's, I don't hear anybody talking about it again. Is Hunter Renfro yeah. going to torch Alabama yeah, again? Right, like they
1: better know where he is. Um, it's kind of like with OJ Howard going into last year's yes. playoffs. You better know where that guy is because we've seen this. That and this may favor Alabama. That maybe uh, you know a, a, a Jerry Jury or uh, Cam Sims or someone just busts out at receiver because we've seen that in the Jerry Jury definitely yeah. has
0: the physical capability to do it as the. Uh, as the one receiver they go out and get from South Florida each year, yeah, right. that's, that's quite a lineage at this point. No so, but yeah, the, the Renfro thing just amazes me. I, I had I have a story coming out on him in the next few days, and just going back and looking at what he did in that second meeting is fine. In the first meeting, like I get, he surprised you. He was not a huge part of the offense. He's a redshirt freshman. They had other receivers who'd you know been a lot more productive but when he did it to you the first time and he did it against Minka Fitzpatrick which uh, in the first game sure just it, it wasn't luck wasn't schemed up he flat beat him <laughs> for a couple of touchdowns and then he comes back and does it again except double digit catches and when you know the game winning catch yeah you you got to you got to deal with him that's just and there's no Mike Williams this year. I think I think that that makes a bigger difference. No Mike Williams, no Jordan no Leggett. No Jordan Leggett is a big
1: one. Yeah. Because
0: we talk about the last drive. Hunter Renfro made a huge third and three conversion and caught the touchdown pass. Jordan Leggett and Mike Williams made the other big plays.
1: Sure. And I think... You know, Clemson's a different offense, and that's we just have to accept that they they have they, they
0: obviously have
1: numbers at receiver, but they don't have the numbers of elite elite players yeah. this year. So they're going to run the ball. They're going to do that with their quarterback. They're going to do that with Travis et- Etienne. Let's we'll see how many times they give him the ball. Yeah, no, and he, and he's a he's a factor in this game um, possibly.
0: He, he's amazing. I think the number is a touchdown every seven point nine carries. Right. Right. That's crazy. But then he only gets nine carries a game.
1: (laughs) Well, that was the thing. You know, in talking to Jeff Scott, uh, the OC before the year, the thing that jumped out that he told me was, hey, we just have numbers. We have so many running backs. We have so many receivers. They're not going to be featured guys like there were last year uh, with Williams and Leggett and Wayne Gallman. Um, And so just get used to that. And so that's sort of how I've gone into the season where, um, uh, okay, Etienne isn't going to get. 25 carries a game or Hunter Renfro is not going to get 12 balls or um, uh, Ray Ray or Dion. Like none of these guys are going to have these enormous individual performances every time out. But the collective is what Clemson has done. And, you know, it really puts a lot of pressure on defenses because you can't key on one guy.
0: Yeah. And, and that's been the problem in the past couple years is for Alabama is they just have overwhelmed them with numbers of people capable of making plays. And that's, that's where Hunter Renfro, I mean, do pops you think, open. Do you think
1: this is the first time that you can look at these two teams and say a- Clemson has more elite players? Yes. See, that's that, yeah. That's what I feel too, and that's why I feel like it's shifted. Not, not to say Alabama can't win. And that's but, not but saying that, Alabama that, doesn't sh- have right, elite
0: right. players. And we live in this Internet age where if you say something nice about somebody, it means everybody else stinks. Yes. That, but that's not the truth. Alabama's still really good. Alabama still has a bunch of future pros what is shocking is after all these years of them completely dominating in terms of roster there is a program that they've now played 3 years they'll played 3 years in a row that has kind of caught them roster wise and there's a couple other ones that seem to be coming
1: yeah there's one in Athens, Georgia
0: that would be the one i was going <laughs> to talk about yeah so yeah that that's the that's the part that's interesting to me let speak you just mentioned Georgia let's let's shift to that other game mm-hmm. So, I have no read on what the heck's going to happen in this game, other than I think Baker Mayfield will be just fine, and will make plays, and they will score points. But having seen Oklahoma's off uh, defense this year, I'm not sure Georgia can't just keep up with them.
1: Yeah, they can, and I mean, there's certainly an argument. You know, the old adage is, if you can't stop the run, you can't win, and if they can't stop the run, it's going to be awfully tough.
0: I actually think Fromm may be able to have a big game against them too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think they're going to have to protect. I mean, Oklahoma has some decent pass rushers. You saw that in the Ohio State game. They aren't great at cornerback. Yeah. Um, they have been better in their secondary over the course of the season, but, but here's it's not an elite group.
0: Oklahoma's pass rusher, Auburn's pass rush, which wouldn't scare you. Oh, more. sure. No, so I mean that that that's the thing. They just dealt with a much more, you know, terrifying pass rush than than what they're going to play, and. They protected well. Now, they did not protect well the first time they played Auburn. And that, that's an issue. But, yeah, if you get them blocked, it seems like there's time to throw. Now, I, the question is, so, like I said, I think Baker Mayfield's going to make plays. They're going to score points. Oklahoma's offensive line is going gonna, is gonna to open holes. They're going to run the ball all right. But is Georgia going to be able to get them off schedule at all? Are they going to be able to break the serve and yeah put the ball back in the offense's hands with a turnover with a you know with a three and out deep in Oklahoma territory that forces them to punt? That's the thing that they're going to have to do a couple times, two three times to to really get control of the game. Otherwise, they're going to be in a shootout with Oklahoma, and I don't think you want to be in a shootout with Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing with Georgia, which is interesting, I want to get your take on this. Um, in talking to coaches, everybody has so much respect for the linebackers and the speed that they have and how the scheme allows Roquan Smith to run and go make plays. But I think coaches were split, on, at least on the defensive line, how good it is. And then I think the secondary is solid, but I think Kirby, if you gave him true serum, and he's even said this, knows oh, he that they're going to be better in the It's thin. Future. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not Alabama. He always just says, we're not Alabama. Yeah, they're not where they want to be in the right.
0: secondary at all. They're a, a turned ankle away from – some liability situations there, especially against a team like Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the pass rush is is interesting to me because Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter, I think, were wise to come back and and have have had a better year. Um, but no, there, there's nothing that completely scares you on their defensive line. And and obviously Bellamy and Carter are linebackers, but they're they're sta- walked yeah, up to right, the line right. and, and they're they're rushing the passer. But there, there's nothing that. That completely scares you. Although they're very stout up the middle, they're hard to move. Um, I, I don't worry as much about them just bursting through and and sacking Baker Mayfield up the middle, but I do worry about Oklahoma being able to open anything up between the tackles. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to. You can attack them on the outside too, and that's what I think Georgia will try to attack Oklahoma's defense on the outside on the ground that's one thing they do better than anybody else is they got guys that can you know sony michelle can get the edge against anybody mm-hmm. so they're, they're smart they got good you know i blazevich and now are good blocking tight ends so that they, they'll do that i would imagine oklahoma is going to try to do the same thing against georgia and you know what i think you can spring those backs doing that
1: yeah no I, yeah you, you can um I'm interested to see I, I think it's really interesting how Orlando Brown has played against all these guys in Georgia yeah um, and so he understands at least a little bit about how they play but I think it'll be fascinating to see who can get around him how Georgia's speed, uh, will affect Mayfield. Because Mayfield, and this is another thing a coach told me recently, he he likened him to Rice, Russell Wilson in the sense that he doesn't scramble to run. He scrambles to He scrambles to throw. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that was what Russell did so well. I mean, I saw it firsthand at Wisconsin, but, you know, you've seen it in the NFL now. You saw it at it, NC State, too. Except he
0: had nobody blocking right. for him.
1: He would run to a spot and then just create time. And if he can do that effectively, his receivers can beat these Georgia uh, defensive backs. Yeah, well, and I right.
0: don't know who covers Mark Andrews.
1: That's the other thing, yeah. yeah. That and I mean, and I think the variety of Oklahoma's receivers can give you know you got really good slot guys. You have an outside guy Brown is so fast. I mean, it's gonna put a lot of pressure on those guys. Now you know they they may they also have improved though. You know they were, and they may take another step now for this game. I mean, how how much do you think the newness of this stage will impact Georgia? I mean, and even some of Oklahoma's guys haven't really been on it. The running backs haven't been on it. A lot of these receivers haven't been on it. Baker's been on it. Uh, Oboe's been on at Orlando Brown. But, I mean, a lot of these guys are are new to this stage.
0: I don't think it's going to matter for either team because they play in such big games. I mean, uh, Oklahoma went to Ohio State this year. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get much more high pressure than that. Uh, They play the Texas game every year. That atmosphere is very similar to this type of game. Um, Georgia, they play the Florida game every year. That atmosphere is very similar to this type of game, even if the, the competition has been a little bit different and was very different this year. Um, but also, Georgia has to go to Auburn. You know, Georgia. Sure. Some of the places that these teams go on a regular basis, I think, get them prepared for it. Now, the, the, the rhythms of it may be different, and I think that's, that's where these Alabama and Clemson guys have a big advantage, but then the advantages negate one another because they're playing each other. Mm-hmm. I think if, if Alabama were playing Georgia and Clemson were playing Oklahoma, or you know, mix it up however you want, the team that has been here a bunch would have a little bit of an advantage. Now, Oklahoma has been here two years ago, but it feels like, you know, they, they got crushed. It didn't work out so well. I I don't know how much you you really take from that. How much, how many of these guys were really contributing there? There are quite a few who did contribute on that team, but I don't know. I, it's hard to, to believe that carries over that much.
1: No, yeah, I mean, it doesn't – there's just so many differences now, and I think the offense has evolved. I mean, I, I think the mistake a lot of people will make going into this game is to say, well, Oklahoma's just a Big 12 offense. No, at Feast nope,
0: nope, nope, This is a <laughs> – They're a Big 12 defense, but they're not a Big 12 yeah, offense. Yeah,
1: and I mean, they're, and they're actually, a you know, in that league, a decent Big 12 defense, at least the way they finished the season. But their offense – from a scheme standpoint, um, as a coach told me in our scouting report today, they out leverage and outnumber you better than almost anyone. Yeah, and that's what Georgia's going to have to deal with. And
0: and physically on the offensive line, oh yeah, they're no, they they're can they are yeah. very capable. And that's that's one of the things that had been a problem in the Big Twelve over the years. I wrote that big story at the beginning of the year about the Big 12's talent issue. Yeah, and how if you just look at the NFL draft, look at how much lower offensive linemen get drafted they just didn't have as good of players on the offensive line as, as some of these other leagues but this oklahoma team is an outlier in the big 12 because those guys would fit in any league they will be drafted very well <laughs> you know that they, they the other part of it you know you're talking about who gets around orlando brown i don't think anybody gets a you, you gotta buy a bus ticket to get around yeah orlando brown but the the key to sacking quarterbacks or pressure sacking Baker Mayfield is almost impossible, but the key to pressuring quarterbacks is to have guys that come unblocked, is to confuse them so much that they come unblocked. That's another problem against Oklahoma because this line has played together so so long. They communicate really well. Mm-hmm. They just don't make a lot of mistakes. And if you know what you're doing, you know what the guy next to you is doing, everybody's on the same page. A lot of that scheme stuff that would typically result in sacks and pressures doesn't work.
1: Yeah, it was at 141 career starts combined. And I think the key is that they've basically all started since Lincoln Riley's been the coordinator slash play caller slash head coach. So they're not just familiar with each other, but they're incredibly familiar with this scheme versus the Josh Heupel scheme, Mm -hmm. which was before it, which was effective, but not this effective.
0: So before I let you go, we, we've talked about the teams in the playoff. Let's talk about one of the teams that's not in the playoff that, that has some news happening as we kind of speak. LSU is going to part ways with Matt Canada after the, the Citrus Bowl. This has been something that's been brewing for a while, mm-hmm. uh, and now everybody's just sort of <laughs> coming out and saying it. At least off the record, they're coming out and saying it. But are you surprised that this fell apart? As quickly as it did,
1: I mean, I, in hindsight, it's obviously easier to say no. Um, I, I guess when you when you look at, I think the lesson here <laughs> is that it's hard to go somewhere on your own, and that's what Matt Canada did. He came in from Pitt to a staff. He'd he gone on his own, by the where way. He had gone on his own, had great success, but he came into a staff that um, most of whom had been there already. Uh, who had had some success with Ed Orgeron when he was the interim coach. Um, you wonder if at all a higher an outside hire, was forced upon Ed Orgeron. Um, then they don't have success early. It's, it's the same old LSU, same old quarterback issues, uh, same wasted talent issues, <laughs> and they lose to Troy. But really, uh, in SEC play, I thought he did a good job.
0: Yeah, And I think Matt Canada is a good coach. Six I, I d- and one their last seven games. Yeah, And that's one of those things, you, I get there's a personality conflict. It's working. now. Yeah, get over it. I you're, mean, you're you're yeah, going you're yeah. going to have a better quarterback next year. At least you think that they, they 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 think the world of Miles Brennan. So, the offensive line is going to be better because you had a bunch of dudes that had to play as freshmen this year. So, if you could get past the personality issues, you'd have a pretty darn good offense. Now, I it sounds like Steve Ensminger will be the choice, and he was the the interim OC when Orgeron was the interim coach. And that offense was was kind of fun. Uh, you know, they did a lot with Darius Geis. They had a huge game against Ole Miss, mm-hmm. um, had a big game against Arkansas, but they also got shut out by Alabama. And isn't the whole idea. You got to be able to beat Alabama.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to ask yourself, are, are you getting better? And obviously, Ed Orgeron has decided that this Will make LSU better, and time will
0: tell. Chemistry he's, matters he's too, I suppose. I, I, mean, I,
1: I guess, although I, I guess I would counter that with Nick Saban is okay with being with coaches. He's not always com- complete, completely comfortable. He, with he was
0: him. okay for for a period of time. Right. I mean, Lane Kiffin was not coming back after last season. No, no, so. he was. And he
1: made gone to LSU. Uh, it's just funny. Um, but and then he gets a head coaching job instead. No, I, I, I. As a coach told me uh, yesterday when I brought up Matt Cannon, he doesn't know Matt Cannon that well. It's often personality that causes these things. It's mm-hmm. not uh, necessarily the scheme, but I, I and I and I wonder how many of these this move these moves around the country are a personality issue with Canada, but I again, I look at what he did at Wisconsin at the end. Yeah. I looked at what he did at NC
0: State. I look at what he did at
1: Pitt. The guy's a guy's a good coach. Maybe
0: um, he needs to be the the guy in charge maybe maybe and then he can decide <laughs> what the personality fits are I mean that that may be his thing and and you know he may have to find a different level to be a head coach at and work work up that way yeah I just, I just think with being the, was, the subordinate doesn't seem to work right now
1: yeah and he may not have that I mean he's also hasn't become a head coach so why is that is that a personality you know, I, I think that um with what he had to work with this year especially at the quarterback position and as you mentioned the young offensive line I don't know how much more you could have asked of him. I Um, thought
0: they did really well down the stretch. I I thought, you know, given the situation, that's about the best you could expect what happened. Now, they should not have lost to Troy, but he should have been allowed to run his offense against Troy, and if he had, they would have beaten Troy. And that's
1: the thing. And and so now, uh, by hiring familiarity... You better be right if you're Coach
0: O. That's it. That's it. If you're it.
1: not, it's gonna be well. Here goes Coach O again, and he doesn't also can handle it. And, and, and,
0: and he's he's admitted this himself. You know, he's not an ex-coordinator. He's not, he can't step in and call the plays. No, this isn't like you know if Nick Saban gets mad about the defense, he can step in and call the plays because he's done it before. Sure, you know if Urban Meyer gets mad now, Urban Meyer was never a coordinator either. But he did design <laughs> yeah. the offense. Yeah.
1: That's created some other pro- right. problems. Though, well, exactly. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, that's that's another can of worms entirely. But but if he wanted to, he could just call the plays.
1: Right, and uh, you and know, Ed Orgeron can't do that. No, he can't. And I think the feeling about Ed going in is that he always needed a good staff around him. Uh, you know,
0: he said it himself. He, it's he it it was in that binder that right. he. Right. That he sold himself
1: with, which is which is self aware and great. But you know now you're, you're you're making an OC change after one year. Um, how much longer is Dave Aranda going to be there as a defensive coordinator? Dave still seems happy, but he's a guy that's going to be on radars for head coaching jobs well, very soon.
0: NFL um, Black Sunday is coming up. Yeah. Dave Aranda strikes me as a future NFL defensive coordinator if he wants to be. If yeah. he wants to yeah. be, what what happens if somebody he really likes gets a head coaching job? And wants him to come along.
1: Yeah, no, and, and again, he, he's the highest uh, earning assistant in the country. Yep. Uh, he's got a great situation here. I know his family likes it when we've talked. He, he, he really seems to be enjoying himself. But you have to also see where things are going. And I, I don't believe he will be at LSU for more than one more year. Yeah. And that's why this next year is going to be so critical. Yeah, Ed
0: Orgeron but is completely coordinator dependent. Yes. It's it's sort of like it, it's, it's double what you get when you have – Let's say Lincoln Riley, who calls his own plays, he's very dependent on who he's not a CEO coach. He's very dependent on his defensive coordinator. He's very dependent on Mike Stoops right now. Right. Uh, that's Steve Spurrier back in the day was was a prime example of this. He did not care what happened on defense. He was depend completely dependent on hiring a good defensive coordinator. Otherwise, things didn't quite work. Ed Orgeron has to hire great guys on both sides of the ball. Otherwise, it doesn't quite work because you can have all the talent in the world and it doesn't matter. So I think that puts even more pressure on him to get this right. And if you're going to have this kind of churn, you're not going to get it right every time. So hopefully, for his for his sake, he gets it right this time and maybe there's a little bit longer that they can go without churn.
1: Right, Well, but th- they're going to have to improve offensively next year they're gonna have to improve at the quarterback position because people are are getting restless I mean I did a list of of 10 um, playoff contenders that are not in the current playoff for 18 and I just couldn't in good conscience put LSU in that list I mean how much longer can they exist in that outsider's realm
0: you need to see them be competitive against Alabama yeah they need to be in the game now I would argue that they're they were in the game the a lot it, yeah. a lot of this this season's game and and had some opportunities where they had some drop balls where they, they might have been able to to make that really interesting but they need to be really in the game in the fourth quarter have a legitimate chance to beat Alabama that's when they'll be a contender again and uh, i mean i need to see that sure sure
1: yeah, it, it's an interesting program um, because they've obviously made the strong commitment to assistant coach salaries, but I think there's still this perception: can they win big with O there? You know, and he's got to uh, you know address that. I mean, um, I think Dabo faced that for many mm-hmm. years. Can, can can Dabo Dabo also be never the rah rah guy, guy who has the great staff
0: and, but, and wins? But with But da- Dabo's did. the prime example, and Dabo nearly got himself fired until he found the, the right mix. Right. It took hiring Chad Morris and then Brent Venables, and then the formula was set. Right. So that's what O has to, to survive long enough to figure out what the formula is. And
1: that's the thing. I don't know if the patients will be there um, to, to let him do that. Clemson
0: was coming from a very different place. Yeah.
1: And, and the amazing thing is uh, Clemson, and we've talked about this, hasn't had the staff churn like lsu has like alabama has right they've you know they they're, they're, make it a very
0: pleasant place to live in it's amazing yeah
1: a- and now you have two young coordinators in tony elliott and jeff scott you have brett venables who just stays there and doesn't take a head coaching job um and i mean their only staff departures i think in the last four years were one guy that was retiring and one guy that went to the nfl i mean yeah. for a program Dan that's Brooks had and, that and, and hobby and hobby, the the NFL. And hobby yep. the, so so for a program that's had that type of success in today's college football where there's so much money being thrown around, that is, uh, you just don't see it.
0: Well, that, that's the thing. In, a dream, in, in the dream world, Coach O finds those guys that want to just stay. But that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that's going to stay that way forever at Clemson. Tony Elliott's a future head coach. Jeff Scott's a future head coach. Eventually, they're going to, they're going to move on and become head coaches. Uh, so it's not, nothing lasts forever in college football. That's, that's the, uh, that's the moral of the story, which kind of brings us back to the game. We're about to cover Alabama Clemson and the sugar bowl. And we talked earlier about it feeling like the first time Alabama's going into a game where the other team has more elite players than Alabama does. And that feels kind of weird. It does. Kind of like something's changing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you could certainly create the narrative if they lose this game, uh, especially with the recruiting success that Clemson has. And, again, I don't know if there's a ton separating the Clemson really, really, really good class from the Alabama. No, really, really No, there's not. It, it's negligible. But you could say, okay, Clemson beat them twice in a row um, – uh, Alabama doesn't look like Alabama on defense, which is kind of true, at the least in the end of the season. And Clemson is this recruiting monster now with Georgia, and here's Alabama a few steps behind. I think that's probably too far. But watch Alabama
0: th- win by two touchdowns. Yeah, no, and, and they could. And I mean, Alabama fans will be sending us snippets of this podcast.
1: Yeah, and they should. I mean, again, Alabama is certainly capable of of winning this game, and there's enough talent on that team. But again, if you just break down the individual pieces, I mean, I mean, who who. Who on who would be the first Alabama defensive line take lineman taken in this year's draft? Deron Payne drafted. Duron Payne. Yeah, but who, how many Clemson guys would ta- would we take ahead of him if we, if we were drafting uh, the defensive I, line I, out this, I, this game? This might
0: be a bad. Ex- well, it's a good example. I think Deron Payne will be in the same echelon as Wilkins and Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Um, although you know Lawrence will go out next year, and, and Wilkins will go out this year. But it's I, kind I th- of a crime that Lawrence. <laughs> Uh, it's, that's it's, the play in college. It feels at, a little bit at, like... Ed Oliver and Dexter Lawrence yeah. will be spend all of next season competing for the number one spot in the draft. But, yeah, no, no. so I would say Deron Payne is in the same kind of echelon as as Wilkins and Lawrence, but then there may not be anybody else on Alabama's D-line that goes before Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant right. go. I mean, right. they, they may go... Quite a bit higher. than Yeah, than I the mean, rest if, if we
1: were just sitting around and drafting a team based on these two rosters, I mean, it, you know, I, I think there'd be a lot of clumps of defensive line been taken before. Oh, know, we get yeah. to the second, yeah, I mean, guy. I
0: think I think your your draft would go now. Mitch Hyatt would be in there. Yeah. I Jonah Williams would would be in there. Jalen Hurts would be in there. Calvin Ridley would Calvin be Ridley high. would be up there. Yeah. But but yeah, your your first three picks might be uh, in some order: Wilkins. Payne lawrence yep. or lawrence wilkins pain yeah, i would take
1: i would take lawrence
0: you take lawrence first i might take wilkins yeah, because wilkins he can play unique, he can God play lawrence. defensive end too <laughs>
1: he really can but, but there just aren't too many guys like dexter lawrence <laughs> No,
0: what what the dudes that are six five and 345 that can 18 like yeah, yeah, yeah it's not yeah. it's great and we could add well we'll save this for another podcast Dexter Lawrence and Bryce Love played on the same high school team, and that team did not win every game. I
1: don't know. I don't know how that happened. How does it? Someone should get fired. We're
0: going to save that for the the, the great mysteries of our time podcast in the offseason. But, Adam Rittenberg, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me.